Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine enthusiasts who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, Michelle introduces you to a prominent woman and takes a peek inside her life. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandreau, and I'm with Lindsay Gallagher, who is the president and CEO of Visit Napa Valley. Lindsay, it is amazing to be with you today because you are one busy woman. (laughs) More than I'd like to be, but nice to see you. Thank you for coming in. Well, I am delighted to have a few minutes of your time because, as I said, you are really busy. You are on the go. You are promoting this fantastic place, Napa Valley. But before we talk about all things Napa Valley, let's talk about your career. I'm curious, what was your first official professional job? Uh, Sure. Well, I had a lot of waitress jobs in college and in high school, as we all did, right? I think I I knew I'd come back to hospitality at some point in time, but uh, thankful for that. My first professional job coming out of college, uh, I had majored in finance as an undergrad. So I worked for General Electric in their GE Capital, which is the financial services. They had a management training program called FMP. So I did the GE Capital Financial Management Program training program for about two and a half or three years after college. And it was a bit like being in the military. They sent us to a different business unit every six months. And so uh, I moved Um, every six months for that time period, but learned a lot about finance and spreadsheets and budgets and (laughs) and all those good things. I'm thankful for that now, but I'm glad that's not all I get to do professionally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, job security. Absolutely, yes. I speak spreadsheet, as my husband says. (laughs) And definitely important, because you did go off then to become the finance manager at the Today Show. Yes, it was the best finance job I could find. Um, (laughs) At the time, GE, General Electric, wholly owned the NBC television network. And so, um, as I said, it was the it was still in finance, um, but it was a really cool production finance job uh, at the television network. So uh, I thought that it doesn't get any better than that in the finance world, right? So I got to work at 30 Rockefeller Plaza. My business card said uh, 30 Rock on it long before Tina Fey did her show. <laughs> I loved uh, working on the third floor of that um, building and being a part of production finance. You saw lots of talent and actors coming through every day. And I had the glorious job of doing expense reports for um, Katie Couric and Al Roker at the time. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, I'll bet you were surprised by some expenses. It was a learning experience. Yes, that's for sure. Well, then you decided to make a change. You got out of finance and kind of dove into the marketing world. Absolutely. I knew that I was thankful for my finance background, but that's not what I wanted to do when I grew up. So why did you know that you didn't want to stay on that finance path? I quickly understood that I wanted to have a front of house role in addition to really understanding the back of the house. Um, Many of my peers at GE Capital went on to very successful roles in finance, but that was definitely it, you know, it's a back of house function. It's it's um, the foundation on what the business is built. And yet I spent a lot of time in a cube with spreadsheets for years and thought, I just don't think I can do this forever. <laughs> and so I knew I, um, you know, the Today Show was a really good bridge for me 
in that I, uh, you know, if in a perfect world, I would have gone into the, uh, been a producer at the Today Show, mm-hmm. but what it paid at the time was not enough for me to pay rent in Manhattan. <laughs> so right. I knew that right. without a, uh, a trust fund, that wasn't going to be in the cards for me. So, but, but what I loved was the front side of the business. I, um, at the time I was working there, NBC launched a show with Florence Henderson called Later Today. And I got to know and love her um, in that role and got to work with, with talent and just thought I, I need to figure out a way to use my business acumen, but to do that where I'm not buried in a cube with a spreadsheet. And so at the time, it seemed to make sense for me to go to business school and facilitate that transition from finance into um, marketing, which is something I knew very little about, but thought I um, wanted to take the opportunity to learn. So I did end up going to business school, got an MBA at the Kellogg School out at Northwestern, um, well known for its marketing program. And um, it opened up many options for me that use the finance background, but helped me move beyond finance. Um, I thought I was going to go into consumer packaged goods, had opportunities with companies like General Mills and SC Johnson and um, Procter and Gamble. And that was the path I thought I was going to take until I met Stephanie Gallo, um, who came to, who also went to Kellogg. She came out to do some recruiting. A friend of mine was very interested in working for Gallo and they were doing a, just a presentation the night before and so my friend said you should come there'll be free wine so I went to the the presentation had the free wine was not interested in the job but I ended up meeting Stephanie and connecting with her and she encouraged me to come back the next day and interview and I disclosed that I knew nothing about wine uh, that I drank milk for dinner because I was from Vermont and uh, we have more cows than people there and so anyway long story short the rest is history I did not go into a consumer packaged goods role in the Midwest I ended up moving to California California and coming to work in the wine industry. You worked for Gallo for about three years. I did, yes, and I uh, really enjoyed my, there's no better place to word, learn the wine business than at the Gallo Winery and still have many, many close friends um, from that time. And my husband is my souvenir from my time <laughs> at the winery. He's still there, uh, happily so. Um, but in any event, yes, I worked in many different brands, learned marketing and the wine business simultaneously at Gallo um, and have nothing but good things to say about that experience. They're the ones that are responsible for you focusing on a career on wine because from Gallo you eventually went on to work at the Wine Institute for 10 years doing international marketing which is another super cool job. Yes I mean I I firmly believe when a door opens you have to have the courage to walk through it and in all of these cases for me it was um, you know just seeing a door and and walking through it and uh, having the confidence to trust your stuff and yet being able to embrace that change, you know, I don't usually seek it. It finds me, I find, but you're very fortunate. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm, I'm pretty risk averse and, uh, you know, pretty loyal, but at the same time, um, I, you know, I encourage any of your listeners when, when those opportunities present themselves, have the courage to, to move forward and see where the adventure takes you. So that's, that's how I ended up in wine. I, as I said, I grew up in Vermont. I didn't know anything about wine. Um, I had done a summer internship at the SC Johnson company, um, in business school and I worked on the Ziploc brand and I loved learning the process and I loved who doesn't love Ziploc bags but right. it, but it also is like when people are done with this product they throw it away and they move on and when I was looking at my other job options I thought what if, what happens if I end up on the kitty litter brand or on peanut butter I just don't know if I can do that all day and so 
wine for me and the lifestyle in California. And, it, you know, really it's, it's elegant farming, um, mm-hmm. the wine industry and the hospitality industry here. And so I found a lot of parallels with home and small town and a more rustic and rural experience. And so I was very happy to get that opportunity with Gallo. And uh, at Gallo, I was working on imported brands that were coming into the U.S. market. So I started on a brand called Bellicera, which was an Italian brand, and it was all about the iconic and aspirational Italian lifestyle and how do you bring that into a product for U.S. consumers. From there, I went to work on uh, an Australian brand, and it was called Black Swan, and what what is interesting for a U.S. consumer Mm. about Australia. And so it was all about bringing international brands into the United States. When I went to work at Wine Institute, it was a 180 of that, where it was taking California and that iconic and aspirational destination out to 30 different countries around the world. And what is iconic about, what what do consumers connect with California in Sweden, in Canada, in China, in Japan, in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in Mexico. Um, And so that was really a lot of fun. It was a great branding opportunity for this, the Golden State and all that's iconic and inspirational about California all around the world. Um, And I'm still very thankful for the 10 years that I had as a steward of the California brand. And now you've just basically narrowed that down. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. And so I, when I was at Wine Institute and traveling a lot all over the world, I was flying a California flag, but working closely with our friends at the Napa Valley Vintners, Sonoma County Vintners, Paso Robles, Lodi, et cetera. Um, obviously, Napa Valley is the crown jewel of um, wine destinations in the United States and in California. And so once again, I was not looking for an opportunity, but, but one found me um, to have the opportunity to come here to visit Napa Valley to work on the tourism side, but still very closely with the wine industry. The, 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 you know, when all said and done, people come here to drink wine and experience this lovely valley. And um, I'm very honored to get the opportunity to be sort of the, the chief brand steward of the Napa Valley brand on the world stage, um, helping our wineries and all of our hospitality businesses welcome people from around the world here to Napa Valley dream job I think most days yes and then there was this thing <laughs> called the pandemic <laughs> oh yeah that pandemic yeah, I joined right you, before that terrible timing needless to say did you regret your decision <laughs> well people drank a lot of wine well, during the true. pandemic that's and so uh, from that standpoint I, I thought that my timing was particularly bad to transition into tourism when no one was allowed to travel <laughs> at least not into California for right. a long time but I had to learn the business as the industry was crashing and I hope to never have that opportunity again but there were a lot of silver linings in that now that we're on the other side of it Um, for us it was all about in this organization quite honestly staying alive um, and having as I would always share with my CFO we would say I would say to her we just need to keep enough cash flow so that we don't run out of runway. I know this plane is going to take off again, but we need enough runway to get it there. And so little by little, um, we did uh, achieve that. And then now we are, um, you know, stronger than ever, having higher than ever record revenues from hospitality coming into the Napa Valley. That fuels a lot of the the budgets uh, of our cities and towns within the valley. And the, the transient occupancy tax is a huge contributor to the quality of life and the benefits we have as residents. And so it was very important to restore that um, for our community and to get the economic engine off life support as we moved through the pandemic. And we were always hoping to 
win back more than our fair share of visitors. And I'm happy to say that Napa Valley led the state of California in the tourism recovery. And um, we're seeing uh, fewer people coming here now, but they're staying longer and they're spending more money. And that's the best case scenario from my point of view. Absolutely. I saw a stat that said before COVID, we had 3.85 million annual visitors. Right. So what do we have now? We are working on an economic impact study, um, oh. so we'll be able to share that. I don't have the, the specific data at this point in time, but if you look at the data we do have is the Smith Travel Research, which is the hotel data, and it showed us with about 10% lower occupancy in our hotels, mm-hmm. um, but 30% higher revenue. And so that's the, because you know, they're I get, yes, longer. they're staying longer, they're willing to pay more. Napa Valley really leaned into these alfresco and outdoor experiences during the pandemic. We were forced because we couldn't dine inside, you couldn't taste wine inside. But right. the silver lining in that is that we really embraced all of those experiences and we're finding as consumers were comfortable traveling again and were thinking about getting out into the world again they really wanted to have a plethora of outdoor experiences they wanted experiences they no longer were motivated to hit five wineries in one day that that's not the metric it's what did you do what did you experience while there Um, what did you get to see did you meet a winemaker did you get to do a blending experience did you get to be on the nicest outdoor patio you've ever seen Um, you know what was the experience Um, and that I think is where Napa Valley over delivers um, and will continue to do so. So that's really helped us um, have people rediscover Napa Valley, but also we saw the frequency of visit increase. So maybe folks would come once a year in the past and now they they came in February, they had never been and they saw the magical mustard season that you know carpets the whole valley and then they came back in summer and came back in fall. And so we were just so thankful that people fell in love with Napa Valley again and continued to visit um, even as we navigated the roller coaster of the pandemic <laughs> that went on and on and on. Well, thank God it's, it's behind us. <laughs> yes. It's in the rear view mirror and hopefully it'll just stay there. Absolutely, fingers crossed. <laughs> so now that you are on the other side of the pandemic, what do you hope to accomplish? What's your goals for your time here? Yeah, I mean, we're still in the the goal, the primary goal of accelerating recovery um, for the hospitality industry. That is, you know, that's the heartbeat and the lifeblood of the economy in the Valley. And I think everybody had the opportunity to see what happens when that tourism faucet turned off overnight on March 11th of 2020. And all of a sudden that contribution stopped at all levels. And so last year and this continues to be about accelerating that recovery. And as I said before, winning back more than our fair fair share. We want people to choose to come here. We want the right people to come and we want the investment to come. I think we'll be in that phase for for a little bit longer, but, but looking beyond sort of the near term, my goal is to help facilitate harmony between our resident community and uh, our visitors who come here from around the world. This community is very generous in putting out the welcome mat for visitors from all over the globe. And this destination is aspirational and it is um, you know really the gold standard of, of wine and hospitality for the world and yet our residents need to feel that they are part of that journey and that they are benefiting from from welcoming people in um, and so my goal is just to be for this organization to be a real conduit between the resident community our elected officials and stakeholders and those visitors who come here in a normal year spending 2.2 billion dollars 
in the Napa Valley, 3.85 million people was um, the statistic prior to the pandemic. 80% of those visitors are domestic, 20% are international. Uh, I was just in Japan last week, and we're obviously hoping to help, uh, together with the state of California, help spur recovery of the international visitor, because those visitors, by default, stay longer and spend more money. They come from further away, and uh, they're going to stay longer while here. And so we'll be focusing a lot on helping the international visitation recover. We also need the group and meeting business to recover here. That tends to be our midweek business, Monday through mm -hmm. Thursday. We have no issue filling our hotels on weekends with leisure guests, and we're so happy that those guests have returned. But we also need those other three or four days of the week to fill in to pre-pandemic visitation patterns. And we're going to do that with incentive trips and, and business travel and that piece of the puzzle. We're also seeing that business travel, I believe, is going to recover in a way that's very beneficial to Napa Valley. We're not seeing groups of 10,000 coming for a conference, but we're seeing 30 or 50 wanting to get out of Zoom purgatory and come <laughs> together for the, and they're, they're choosing to come here to Napa Valley. So I think that that's gonna be a really strong opportunity for us going forward. So really get back to where we were. Absolutely. Is your goal over the next maybe five plus years. That's right. So. Maybe a little less pivoting than we had to do right. <laughs> for, the, for the first three years anyway. Top moment of your career so far. I was very proud to be given the opportunity to come here to visit Napa Valley. This is the chief marketing officer of uh, of the Napa Valley brand and the, and the community that it represents. Uh, I had lived here for about six years and was commuting to the city where my Wine Institute job was and flying all over the world. And I, I'm so happy to live three blocks from my office and to have my kids in school here and to be at Little League games on weekends and seeing this community and understanding it at such a fundamental mental level and then playing a very important role, I think, um, in being a steward of this destination. And so, um, again, that was an opportunity I wasn't looking for, but was really thrilled um, to be entrusted with that responsibility and very proud of what I get to do every day. Do you um, pinch yourself? I do sometimes, <laughs> yes. You know, I, I was uh, at an event in Calistoga on Friday evening and sort of, you know, had to run home and get the kids organized and get the babysitter and really did, didn't want to go. And then as I was driving up Valley as the sun was setting, like, how lucky am I to get to, <laughs> to, to do, do this, this, to live here? to represent this um you know I still have to go to Target and Trader Joe's every weekend and be a frenzied working mom but uh I get to do it here in Napa Valley and I'm very thankful for that I think that kind of raises a couple of questions one how do you do it all how, how are you a mother a wife and a CEO well, I, I successfully, I, well, I, I like those successfully in total, but I like to say that some days I'm a good mom and some days I'm a good employee and some days I'm a good wife, but that's rarely on the same day. And so you just have to show up every day and do my best. Um, I'm a really good juggler and multitasker, but it's not pretty behind the scenes. You don't want to see the, the, the feet of the duck, but beneath the surface of the water, always moving quickly. I do accomplish a lot in a day, um, but I, I feel fortunate to get to try to do it um, and I certainly don't have have the code cracked on on balance um, but it's uh, as I said just do, you got to give it your best every day and uh, give yourself some grace as well and know that um, you're gonna achieve some goals and not 
others on any given day. But when you look back holistically, um, I think you can do well enough at each of those pieces. So will you be here forever and ever and ever? Like, where can you go from here? I, the short answer <laughs> is I don't know. Um, and I certainly haven't even given it a thought because the pandemic was such a was such chaos and right. such a roller coaster. We were just literally trying to survive. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy living here. I enjoy this opportunity. But um, as I said, if, if a door opens, I will certainly be open to it and um, just trust the process. In the meantime, I have a lot of work left to do here. Uh, this may be the last stop, but at the same time, um, you know, I really, I really don't know. I'll, I'll be open to whatever opportunities come that make sense. But um, you know, it's just right it's now such, you, you're living the dream. I am. You're yes. The dream. So I have to ask. I love Napa Valley. You love Napa Valley. But what is one of your favorite spots? in the Napa Valley? It's not the Little League field. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I think uh, I really love experiencing Napa Valley from our Napa Valley Vine Trail. It's a bike trail that ultimately is going to be almost 50 miles through the valley. It starts down at the Vallejo Ferry and it will go to Calistoga when it's finished. I'm so happy that this community has that asset because you can go wine tasting to dozens of wineries um, within a half a mile of the vine trail. But most importantly for me, my kids learned to ride a bike very young um, because we had that vine trail asset. There are no car, you know, you don't have to worry about them getting in traffic. You aren't crossing a lot of streets. And it's just a magical way to get to see the whole valley. Right now, with the piece between downtown Napa and Yountville connects. And so um, several times a year, you know, with my family, I'm able to bike to Yountville and have a wonderful lunch and, and then bike back through vineyards. Um, that's a pretty amazing um, opportunity. And we look forward to be able, being able to go beyond Yountville very soon. <laughs> well, you get to work off your lunch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Or your wine, whichever. Right. <laughs> you work up your appetite getting there, then you work off what you've ate. Right. I've had a couple of chances to um, take a hot air balloon ride oh, as well. Awesome. And I am not an adventure person. I will never bungee jump or skydive or anything. But I will say that is a highlight of my time here and of my life to get to experience this valley in the morning um, from a hot air balloon. It's pretty magical. Learn more about the women who live in wine country when you purchase one of our lifestyle books at winecountrywomen.com. Well, let's shift to your personal life okay. now, although we've kind of hit on a little bit of it yeah. now. You do live in the town of Napa. Yes, I'm walking distance to the office. I so. know. I don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> <I> or not. <laughs> I, I, I used to like, I mean, I had a very long commute into San Francisco, but I had a lot of time to transition between the office and home. And now I'm literally home in less than two minutes. <laughs> Sometimes that's not enough time. Have you thought about moving to another town in the Napa Valley or... Are you content in the town of Napa? Napa has certainly come into its own. It sure has. And, you know, we've been here 10 years and seen a lot of change even in that time period. Mm -hmm. We love the walkability of, of downtown Napa. We were living in San Francisco with an infant um, before we moved up here and really chose uh, downtown Napa because we could have that same walkability on weekends, but yet be able to drive to Home Depot and Target and Trader Joe's and all right. the things that we do on weekends. And so I think that's the the beauty of um, the life we live here in Napa Valley. It's 140,000 residents in the whole valley. 
70,000 or so here in the city of Napa, but it feels very urban and convenient um, if you're raising a family and doing all the things that I do on weekends. And yet within two or three minutes, you can be in a pastoral rural experience. Um, and yet we're only an hour, give or take, from San Francisco. So we're pretty happy in, in here in downtown Napa, but I spend a lot of time throughout the entire valley every single week and feel lucky to do so. If we took a step inside your home, what would we see? What's your decorating style? We have a lovely old Victorian home here in downtown Napa, and um, we feel like we are stewards of that home. It was built in 1906. It has magical curved ceilings and great woodwork and, and all the things, but it's an old house. <laughs> so there are certain outlets that I can't plug the vacuum cleaner into oh, because no. it blows the electricity. and. My husband says it's both a house and a hobby, mm. um, which is entirely true. It has a cute carriage house in the back that used to be where the horses were. That's sort of a glorified garage at the moment. Anyway, it's a, a great old house with good bones um, and a lot of fun. And so our, our decorating style has really tried to um, pay homage to the history and yet have a very active young family <laughs> living in it. Um, so yes, it's a it's lived in um, and uh, well-loved but it's a, it's a beautiful home and beautiful craftsmanship that we're very happy to be stewards of right now. Okay, predominant color? Uh, we have a lot of gray um, in there, yes. Um, okay. We, the house had quite a bit of damage during the 2014 earthquake. Mm -hmm. We lost chimneys and windows and walls. And, I mean, oh, horrific. Boy. It was all cosmetic in theory, um, not structural, but it was, it was devastated, the home. And so we actually bought the house because we didn't – we knew we were busy and working and young kids and didn't have time to do a renovation and it had recently been redone. So that was the appeal. And we right. were there, I don't know, I think about six months and then oh, the entire earth. house right. exploded and mm. we uh, little by little put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, we invested the equivalent of college educations many times over in getting the curves back in the ceiling mm. and getting the leaded glass reset and all of that. But you feel like you sort of have to do that. It's a, on the, National Historic Register. Um, and anyway, long story short, I never would have chosen paint colors, wouldn't have changed a lot, but we did get forced to make some of those changes. And we have beautiful palette of grays throughout the home that change, the, the shade change as the light moves. Um, and our contractor uh, who was helping us finish up some of the repairs had given us the color recommendations. And so the the code name that the contractors called the designer was 50 Shades of Gray. Oh. <laughs> it was like, this gray goes on this wall and this gray goes on the other wall and this room has different grays. And so anyway, lots of grays. In lots our house. of grays. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. That's good. Neutral. Yeah. It's a neutral. When you get to kick back and relax, haha. What kind of music do you like to listen to? I am not even a I'm a country music fan. Uh, my family mm -hmm. spent a lot of time in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and uh, when I was growing up during the summer, and, and so that's where I got introduced to country music. And used to be a closet country music fan, but um, now we do some work with an organization called Live in the Vineyard that brings wonderful concerts to the Napa Valley. And so I love Live in the Vineyard Goes Country, and that's coming up in a couple of weeks. People Magazine and Country Music is where you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. A good combination. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you had a hobby. I used to. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Because this, I, I don't this, think you have time now. This job is both a, a hobby and a, and a profession. Um, I'm fortunate to get invited to many community activities outside of 
normal working hours, and I feel very privileged to get to attend that. Um, you know, as I said, I'm all throughout the valley all week long, um, and I have currently have a son who just turned nine over the weekend, and my daughter just turned eleven, and they're very active in a lot of sports and so um, whatever hobbies I might have had prior to children are now um, completely absorbed with lots of sports and music lessons and singing uh, one plays drums the other plays electric guitar and they're in about six team sports at any (laughs) given time so I do lots of laundry I guess that's my hobby oh no 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 okay well how about this is there something people might be surprised to learn about you we know you don't skydive or rappel right. down mountains, but did you do something crazy as a child or hitchhike in Europe? I studied abroad my mm-hmm. junior year of college, and I was in Seville, Sevilla, in Spain, in the south. And so I speak fluent Spanish and um, did several Eurail trips around Europe. I went the summer after I finished studying, and then a year later when I graduated from college, um, it was back in the days you didn't have internet or a cell phone. You just took the Let's Go Europe book and you ripped the pages out right. where you wanted to visit, and your mom just held her breath until you came home. So um, anyway, I was fortunate to get to do a couple of tours around Europe um, with the Eurail Pass and the Let's Go Guide, and we figured it out. So, And how long were you gone? a month the first well, I was I had studied for six months right. and then one a month at the end and then I went back for three months after oh. senior year of college so yeah and you survived I survived <laughs> yes I think it was harder on my mom but uh yes we would check in from a payphone every once in a while would you let your kids do that now <laughs> uh I, I mean w- as they I older. will but I also know like you know that you can see where they are from the cell phone you, right. you email there's there's so many forms of communication that I at the time I was very annoyed that my mom was you know trying to stalk me in Greece and all these in Italy and all these places but I now realize how hard it must have been <laughs> to not even know which country your child is in right. and I'm thankful for all of the technology that allows us to stay much more connected. Um, so yes, I will encourage them to to spend a summer um, on a budget in Europe. <laughs> what do you think ensures a great dinner party? Uh, I'm a planner, so I think that, and I love to entertain. I my grandparents had an inn, um, and my mom has worked uh, in and out of hospitality. She's a nurse in her real life, but my mom, um, my parents have always entertained a lot. A little pre-planning goes a long way. My parents do this wonderful. Uh, I grew up in Vermont, so they do a lobster party over the Fourth of July in New England, and so it's fun if you have a theme that embraces a destination like that. Um, and it's uh, you know we love to entertain outside we um, usually entertain friends with lots of kids um, and so uh, I love being able to uh, host multi-generational gatherings um, and uh, being outside in summer I think is fantastic Um, I am not uh, much of a chef I am a a weeknight cook more than I am uh, and I have a lot of friends who are really into cooking and so it's intimidating to me (laughs) and so I'm much better in a a party gathering format Um, I love to, to decorate and to, um, you know, work on uh, table decor and music and, and uh, all of the sort of, um, you know, the, the items that wrap around the food. And then I'm happy to um, get a food truck or a caterer to come do that, that That's piece okay. of the puzzle. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of wine at our house. Yes. It's always uh, kid friendly and all of that. Um, but we, we have a nice big backyard here in downtown Napa and we do most of our entertaining during the summer. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap things up with five quick question okay they're very very lighthearted. you ready yes okay. okay what kind of car do you drive i drive an audi 
What's your favorite? I always have. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first car I bought was an Audi used, um, and I've stayed and loyal s- to the Audi franchise. So. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I don't well, know I drive an Audi too. <laughs> Surprisingly, it's my first Audi. Though. Second question: favorite flower? Peony. They grow in Vermont. They usually bloom right around my birthday. I was born on uh, first day of summer, so usually that's when the peonies come out in Vermont. So. No wonder you're a fan. <laughs> Third question: What's the last book you read? horse blanking on the author but it's about a racehorse from the 1800s and it sort of brings that story into today and as I understand it the movie is currently in production and so I will try to google that but anyway horse it was fantastic Hmm. I'm intrigued okay fourth question who's one of your favorite actors well, I have always loved um, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck um, since they did Goodwill Hunting because they're Boston, New England boys. And so anyway, I've, I've admired watching their careers progress. And I love Jennifer Garner for female. Okay. Very practical and down to earth and a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. And what's in your nightstand? Chapstick. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> and, and kid things. Kid things. <laughs> All sorts of kid paraphernalia, and I'm never more than three feet away from chapstick. Okay. <laughs> Lindsay, you are fantastic. I am so grateful for a few minutes of your time today. Thank you for including me and helping me share some of my story. And thank you for all of the support that you give to Napa Valley and in particular women in the wine industry and in the community here in Napa. I appreciate you and the platform that you've created for all of us. So thank you. You're too kind. Thank you. Visit winecountrywomen.com to join our exclusive list so you can be the first to learn about upcoming offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new edition of Wine Country Women.